Elder Dallin H. Oaks, in April General Conference, spoke of the need to reform our personal lives. I submit that personal reformation begins with a change of heart. No matter your life experiences or your place of birth, I come from the deep south of the United States, and in my youth the words of old Protestant hymns taught me of a true disciple's heart, a heart that had been changed. Consider these lyrics so dear to me. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. How do we, a modern, busy, competitive people, become yielded and still? How do we make the Lord's ways our ways? I believe that we begin by learning of Him and praying for understanding. As our trust in Him grows, we open our hearts and seek to do His will and wait for answers that will help us understand. My own change of heart started when, as a 12-year-old, I began to search for God. Other than saying the Lord's Prayer, I didn't really know how to pray. I remember kneeling, hoping I could feel His love, and asking, Where are you, Heavenly Father? I know you must be out there somewhere, but where? All through my teen years, I asked. I did have glimpses of the reality of Jesus Christ, but Heavenly Father let me, in His wisdom, seek and wait for ten years. In 1970, when the missionaries taught me about the Father's plan of salvation and of the Savior's atonement, my waiting ended. I embraced these truths and was baptized. Based on this knowledge of the Lord's mercy and power, my husband, children, and I chose this family motto, It will all work out. Yet how can we say those words to one another when deep troubles come and answers aren't readily available? When our delightful, worthy 21-year-old daughter, Georgia, was hospitalized in critical condition following a bike accident, our family said, It will all work out. As I flew immediately from our mission in Brazil to Indianapolis, Indiana, to be with her, I clung to our family motto. However, (coughs) our lovely daughter passed into the spirit world just hours before my plane landed. With grief and shock running like a current through our family, how could we look at one another and still say, It will all work out. Following George's mortal death, our feelings were raw. We struggled, and still today we have moments of great sorrow. But we hold to the understanding that no one ever really dies. Despite our anguish when George's physical body stopped functioning, we had faith that she went right on living as a spirit. And we believe we will live with her eternally if we adhere to our temple covenants. Faith in our Redeemer and His resurrection, faith in His priesthood power, and faith in eternal sealings, let us state our motto with conviction. President Gordon B. Hinckley said, If you do your best, it will all work out. Put your trust in God. The Lord will not forsake us. 
Our family motto doesn't say, it will all work out now. It speaks of our hope in the eternal outcome, not necessarily of present results. Scripture says, search diligently, pray always, and be believing, and all things shall work together for your good. This doesn't mean all things are good, but for the meek and faithful, things, both positive and negative, work together for good, and the timing is the Lord's. We wait on Him, sometimes like Job in his suffering, knowing that God maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth, and His hands make whole. A meek heart accepts the trial and the waiting for that time of healing and wholeness to come. When we open ourselves to the Spirit, we learn God's way and feel His will. During the sacrament, which I call the heart of the Sabbath, I have found that after praying for forgiveness of sins, it is instructive for me to ask Heavenly Father, Father, is there more? When we are yielded and still, our minds can be directed to something more we may need to change something limiting our capacity to receive spiritual guidance or even healing and help. For example, perhaps I have a carefully guarded resentment towards someone. When I ask if there is more to confess, that secret comes clearly to my memory. In essence, the Holy Ghost is whispering, You honestly asked if there were more, and here it is. Your resentment diminishes your progress and damages your ability to have healthy relationships. You can let this go. Oh, it is hard work. We may feel quite justified in our animosity, but yielding to the Lord's way is the only way to lasting happiness. In time and by degrees, we receive His gracious strength and direction, perhaps leading us to frequent the temple or to study more deeply the Savior's Atonement or to consult with a friend, a bishop, a professional counselor, or even a doctor. The healing of our heart begins when we submit to and worship God. True worship begins when our hearts are right before the Father and the Son. What is our heart condition today? Paradoxically, in order to have a healed and faithful heart, we must first allow it to break before the Lord. Ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit, the Lord declares. The result of sacrificing our heart or our will to the Lord is that we receive the spiritual guidance we need. With a growing understanding of the Lord's grace and mercy, we will find that our self-willed hearts begin to crack and break in gratitude. Then we reach for Him, yearning to yoke ourselves to the only begotten Son of God. In our brokenhearted reaching and yoking, we receive new hope and fresh guidance through the Holy Ghost. I have struggled to banish the mortal desire to have things my way, eventually realizing that my way is oh so lacking, limited, and inferior to the way of Jesus Christ. His way is the path that leads to happiness in this life and eternal life in the world to come. 
Can we love Jesus Christ and His way more than we love ourselves and our own agenda? Some may think they have failed too many times and feel too weak to change sinful acts or worldly desires of the heart. However, as covenant Israel, we don't just try and try on our own to change. If we earnestly appeal to God, He takes us as we are and makes us more than we ever imagined. Noted theologian Robert L. Millett writes of a healthy longing to improve, balanced with the spiritual assurance that in and through Jesus Christ we are going to make it. With such an understanding, we can honestly say to Heavenly Father, So trusting my all to thy tender care, and knowing thou lovest me, I'll do thy will with a heart sincere. I'll be what you want me to be. When we offer our broken heart to Jesus Christ, he accepts our offering. He takes us back. No matter what losses, wounds, and rejection we may have suffered, his grace and healing are mightier than all. Truly, yoked to the Savior, we can say with confidence, it will all work out. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. When I was a young adult, I began investigating the Church. At first, I was drawn to the gospel by the examples of my Latter-day Saint friends. But eventually, I was attracted to the unique doctrine. When I learned that faithful men and women could keep progressing and ultimately become like our Heavenly Parents, I was frankly amazed. I loved the concept. It rang true to me. Soon after my baptism, I was studying the Sermon on the Mount, and I recognized that Jesus taught this same truth about eternal progression in the Bible. He said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I have been a member now for over 40 years, and whenever I read this verse of Scripture, I am reminded of our purpose here on earth. We came to learn and improve until we gradually become sanctified or perfected in Christ. The journey of discipleship is not an easy one. It has been called a course of steady improvement. As we travel along the straight and narrow path, the Spirit continually challenges us to be better and to climb higher. The Holy Ghost makes an ideal traveling companion. If we are humble and teachable, He will take us by the hand and lead us home. However, we need to ask the Lord for directions along the way. We have to ask some difficult questions. Questions like, what do I need to change? How can I improve? What weakness needs strengthening? Let's consider the New Testament account of the rich young ruler. He was a righteous young man who was already keeping the Ten Commandments, but he wanted to become better. His goal was eternal life. When he met the Savior, he asked, What lack I yet? Jesus answered immediately, giving counsel that was intended specifically for the rich young man. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and come and follow me. 
The young man was stunned. He had never considered such a sacrifice. He was humble enough to ask the Lord, but not faithful enough to follow the divine counsel he was given. We must be willing to act when we receive an answer. President Harold B. Lee taught, Every one of us, if we would reach perfection, must at one time ask ourselves this question, What lack I yet? I knew a faithful mother who humbled herself and asked, What is keeping me from progressing? In her case, the response from the Spirit came immediately, Stop complaining. This answer surprised her. She had never thought of herself as a complainer. However, the message from the Holy Ghost was very clear. In the days that followed, she became conscious of her habit of complaining. Grateful for the prompting to improve, she determined to count her blessings instead of her challenges. Within days, she felt the warm approval of the Spirit. A humble young man, who couldn't seem to find the right girl, went to the Lord for help. What is keeping me from being the right man? he asked. This answer came into his heart and his mind. Clean up your language. At that moment, he realized that several crude expressions had become a part of his vocabulary, and he committed to change. A single sister asked the question, What do I need to change? And the Spirit whispered to her, Don't interrupt people when they are talking. The Holy Ghost really does give customized counsel. He is a completely honest companion and will tell us things that no one else knows or has the courage to say. One returned missionary found himself stressed with a very heavy schedule. He was trying to find time for work, studies, family, and a church calling. He asked the Lord for counsel. How can I feel at peace with all that I need to do? The answer was not what he expected. He received the impression that he should more carefully observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He decided to dedicate Sunday to God's service and to lay aside his school courses on that day and study the gospel instead. This small adjustment brought the peace and balance that he was seeking. Years ago, I read in a church magazine the story of a girl who was living away from home and going to college. She was behind in her classes. Her social life was not what she had hoped for, and she was generally unhappy. Finally, one day, she fell to her knees and cried out, What can I do to improve my life? The Holy Ghost whispered, Get up and clean your room. <laughs> this prompting came as a complete surprise, but it was just the start she needed. After taking time to organize and put things in order, she felt the Spirit fill the room and lift her heart. The Holy Ghost doesn't tell us to improve everything at once. If He did, we would become discouraged and give up. The Spirit works with us at our own speed, one step at a time, or as the Lord has taught, line upon line, precept upon precept, and blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts, for unto him that receiveth I will give more. For example, if the Holy Ghost has been prompting you to say thank you more often and you respond to that prompting, then he may feel it's time for you to move on to something more challenging, like learning to say, I'm sorry, that was my fault. A perfect time to ask what lack I yet is when we take the sacrament. The Apostle Paul taught that this is a time for each of us to examine ourselves. 
in this reverent atmosphere, as our thoughts are turned heavenward, the Lord can gently tell us what we need to work on next. Like you, I have received many messages from the Spirit over the years showing me how I could improve. Let me share a a few personal examples of messages that I took to heart. These promptings have included, don't raise your voice, organize yourself, create a daily list of things to do, take better care of your body by eating more fruits and vegetables, increase your temple attendance, take time to ponder before you pray, ask your wife for her counsel, and be patient when driving. Don't exceed the speed limit. I'm still working on that last one. (laughs) The atoning sacrifice of the Savior is what makes perfection or sanctification possible. We could never do it on our own, but God's grace is sufficient to help us. As Elder David A. Bednar once observed, most of us clearly understand that the atonement of Christ is for sinners. I am not so sure, however, that we know and understand that the Atonement is also for saints, for good men and women who are obedient, worthy, and conscientious, and who are striving to become better." I would like to suggest that each of you participate in a spiritual exercise sometime soon, perhaps even tonight while saying your prayers. Humbly ask the Lord the following question, What is keeping me from progressing? In other words, what lack I yet? Then wait quietly for a response. If you are sincere, the answer will soon become clear. It will be revelation intended just for you. Perhaps the Spirit will tell you that you need to forgive someone, or you may receive a message to be more selective about the movies you watch or the music you listen to. You may feel impressed to be more honest in your business dealings or more generous in your fast offerings. The possibilities are endless. The Spirit can show us our weaknesses, but He is also able to show us our strengths. Sometimes we need to ask what we are doing right so that the Lord can lift and encourage us. When we read our patriarchal blessings, we are reminded that our Heavenly Father knows our divine potential. He rejoices every time we take a step forward. To Him, our direction is ever more important than our speed. Be persistent, brothers and sisters, but never be discouraged. We will have to go beyond the grave before we actually reach perfection. But here in mortality, we can lay the foundation. It is our duty to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. If spiritual growth is not a priority in our lives, If we are not on a course of steady improvement, we will miss out on the important experiences that God wants to give us. Years ago, I read these words of President Spencer W. Kimball, which had a lasting impact on me. He said, I have learned that where there is a prayerful heart, a hungering after righteousness, a forsaking of sins, and obedience to the commandments of God, the Lord pours out more and more light until there is finally power to pierce the heavenly veil. A person of such righteousness has the priceless promise that one day he shall see the Lord's face and know that he is. End of quote. It is my prayer that this ultimate experience can be ours someday as we allow the Holy Ghost to lead us home. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Many of us who are meeting to participate in this conference have come to hear the pleasing word of God, yea, the word which healeth the wounded soul. That word can be found in the scriptures and in the messages from our leaders, bringing us hope and comfort in the darkness of affliction. Through our experience in life, we learn that joy in this world is not full, but in Jesus Christ, our joy is full. He will give us strength so we will not have to suffer any manner of afflictions, save they are swallowed up in his joy. Our hearts can be filled with anguish when we see a loved one suffer the pains of a horrible disease. The death of someone we love can leave an empty place in our soul. When some of our children stray from the gospel path, we may feel guilt and uncertainty about their eternal destiny. The hope of achieving a celestial marriage and establishing a family in this life can begin to fade as time goes by. Abuse by those who are supposed to love us can leave deeply painful marks in our soul. The infidelity of a spouse can destroy a relationship that we hope would be eternal. These and many other afflictions inherent to this provisionary state sometimes cause us to ask ourselves the same question that the Prophet Joseph Smith asked, O oh God, where art thou? In those difficult moments in our lives, the pleasing word of God that heals the wounded soul brings the following message of comfort to our heart and mind. Peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine afflictions shall be but a small moment. And then, if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. The pleasing word of God fills us with hope, knowing that those who are faithful in tribulation will have the greater reward in the kingdom of heaven, and that after much tribulation come the blessings. The pleasing word of God, as spoken through the prophets, gives us the security that our eternal sealing, sustained by our faithfulness to the divine promise that we were given for our valiant service in the cause of truth, will bless us and our posterity. They also give us the security that after we have lived a faithful life, we will not lose any blessing for not having done certain things if we were never given the opportunity to do them. If we have lived faithful until the time of our death, we will have all the blessings, exaltation, and glory that any man or woman who has had that opportunity will have. Now, it is important to understand that some suffering and affliction can also enter our lives if we fail to truly repent of our sins. President Marion G. Romney taught, quote, The suffering and distress endured by people of this earth is the result of unrepented and unremitted sin. Just as suffering and sorrow attend sin, 
So happiness and joy attend forgiveness of sins. Why does lack of repentance cause suffering and pain? One of the possible answers is that a punishment was affixed and a just law given, which brought about remorse of conscience. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that we are the ones who condemn ourselves and that it is the torment of disappointment in our mind that makes it as intense as a burning lake of fire and brimstone. If we attempt to appease our conscience by trying to excuse ourselves in the least point because of our sins or by trying to hide them, the only thing we will accomplish is to offend the Spirit and delay our repentance. This type of relief, besides being temporary, will ultimately bring more pain and grief into our lives and will diminish our possibility of receiving a remission of our sins. For this type of suffering, the pleasing Word of God also brings comfort and hope. It tells us that there is relief from the pain caused by the effects of sin. This relief comes from the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and takes effect if we exercise faith in Him, repent, and are obedient to His commandments. It is important that we realize that just like the remission of sins, Repentance is a process and not something that happens at one particular moment. It requires consistency in each of its steps. For example, when we partake of the sacrament, we show the Lord that we are going to remember Him always and keep His commandments. That is an expression of our sincere intent. The moment that we begin to remember Him and keep His commandments every day and not just on the Sabbath day is when the remission of our sins begin to gradually take effect and His promise of having His Spirit with us begins to be fulfilled. Without the proper obedience that must accompany our intent, the effect of remissions may disappear before long and the companionship of the Spirit begins to withdraw. We will run the risk of honoring Him with our lips while removing our hearts from Him. In addition to comfort, the pleasing Word of God warns us that this process of receiving our remission of our sins can be interrupted when we become entangled in the vanities of the world. And it can be resumed through faith if we sincerely repent and humble ourselves. What might be some of those vanities that can interfere in the process of receiving a remission of our sins and that are associated with keeping the Sabbath day holy? Some examples include arriving late for sacrament meeting without a valid reason, arriving without previously having examined ourselves to eat the bread and drink from the cup worthily, and arriving without first having confessed our sins and having asked God for forgiveness for them. Other examples, being irreverent by exchanging messages on our electronic devices, 
leaving the meeting after partaking of the sacrament, and engaging in activities in our homes that are inappropriate for that sacred day. What might be one of the reasons why we, knowing all these things, often fail to keep the Sabbath day holy? In the book of Isaiah, we can find an answer that, through related to the Sabbath, also applies to other commandments that we must keep. If thou turn away thy foot from Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. The key words are, turn away from doing thy pleasure, or in other words, doing God's will. Oftentimes, our will shaped by the desires, appetites, and passions of the natural man conflicts with the will of God. The prophet Brigham Young taught that, quote, when the will, passions, and feelings of a person are perfectly submissive to God and his requirements, that person is sanctified. It is for my will to be swallowed up in the will of God. That will lead me into all good and crown me with ultimately with immortality and eternal lives. End of quote. The pleasing word of God invites us to use the power of the atonement of Christ to apply it to ourselves and become reconciled with his will and not with the will of the devil and the flesh. So we, through his grace, can be saved. The pleasing word of God that we share today shows us that need of continuous repentance in our lives so we can keep the influence of the Holy Ghost for as long as possible. Having the companionship of the Spirit will make us better people. It will whisper peace and joy to our souls. It will take malice, hatred, envy, strife, and all evil from our hearts. And our whole desire will be to do good, bring forth righteousness, and build up the kingdom of God. With the influence of the Holy Ghost, we will not be offended nor will we offend others. We will feel happier, and our minds will be cleaner. Our love for others will increase. We will be more willing to forgive and spread happiness to those around us. We will feel grateful to see how others progress, and we will seek the good in others. It is my prayer that we might experience the joy that comes from striving to live in righteousness, and that we may keep the companionship of the Holy Ghost in our lives through sincere and continuous repentance. We will become better people, and our families will be blessed. Of these principles, I testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.
We express gratitude to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir for the beautiful music they have provided this morning. Our concluding speaker for this session will be Elder Quentin L. Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Following his remarks, the choir will close this meeting by singing, Come, Come Ye Saints. The benediction will then be offered by Elder Adrian Achoa of the seventy.
The prophet Lehi declared, If there be no righteousness, there be no happiness. The adversary has been successful in planting a great myth in the minds of many people. He and his emissaries declare that the real choice we have is between happiness and pleasure now in this life and happiness in a life to come, which the adversary asserts may not exist. This myth is a false choice, but it is very seductive. The ultimate noble purpose of God's plan of happiness is for righteous disciples and covenant families to be united in love, harmony, and peace in this life and attain celestial glory in the eternities with God the Father, our Creator, and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. When I was a young missionary assigned to the British Mission, my first area of labor was in what was then the Bristol District. One of the local Church leaders emphasized that missionaries serving in that area needed to be ship-shape and Bristol fashion. Initially, I didn't understand the point he was making. I soon learned the history of the nautical phrase, ship-shape and Bristol fashion. At one time, Bristol was the second busiest port in the United Kingdom. It had a very high tidal range of 43 feet, the second highest in the world. At low tide, when the water receded, the old ships would hit bottom and fall on their sides. And if the ships were not well built, they would be damaged. In addition, everything that was not carefully stowed away or tied down would be thrown in a chaotic fashion and ruined or spoiled. After I understood what that phrase meant, it was clear that this leader was telling us that as missionaries we must be righteous, follow rules, and be prepared for difficult situations. This same challenge is applicable to each of us. I would describe being shipshape and Bristol fashion as being temple-worthy in good times and in bad times. While the fluctuation of the tide in the Bristol Channel is somewhat predictable and can be prepared for, the storms and temptations of this life are often unpredictable. But this we know, they will come. In order to overcome the challenges and temptations that each of us inevitably face, it will require righteous preparation and the use of divinely provided protections. We must determine to be temple-worthy regardless of what befalls us. If we are prepared, we shall not fear. Happiness in this life and happiness in the life to come are interconnected by righteousness. Even in the period between death and the resurrection, the spirits of those who are righteous are received into a state of happiness, which is called paradise, a state of rest a state of peace. At the commencement of the Savior's earthly ministry in Israel and later among the Nephites, the Savior addressed the issue of happiness both in this life and in eternity. He stressed ordinances, but he also placed great emphasis on moral behavior. For example, disciples would be blessed if they would hunger and thirst after righteousness, be merciful, be pure in heart, be peacemakers, 
and follow other basic moral principles. Clearly, as a foundational doctrinal message, our Lord Jesus Christ emphasized both righteous attitudes and conduct in day-to-day living. His teachings not only replaced and transcended elements of the Law of Moses, but also were a rejection of the false philosophies of men. For many centuries, the gospel of Jesus Christ has inspired beliefs and established standards of conduct as to what is righteous, desirable, and moral, and results in happiness, felicity, and joy. However, the principles and basic morality the Savior taught are under serious attack in today's world. Christianity is under attack. Many believe that what is moral has basically changed. We live in difficult times. There is an increased tendency to call evil good and good evil. A world that emphasizes self-aggrandizement and secularism is cause for great concern. One prominent writer, not of our faith, has put it this way. Unfortunately, I see little evidence that people are actually happier in the emerging dispensation, or that their children are better off, or that the cause of social justice is well served, or that declining marriage rates and thinning family trees promise anything save greater loneliness for the majority and stagnation overall. As disciples of the Savior, we are expected to plan and prepare. In the plan of happiness, moral agency is a central organizing principle, and our choices matter. The Savior emphasized this throughout His ministry, including His parables of the foolish virgins and the talents. In each of these, the Lord commended preparation and action and condemned procrastination and idleness. I recognize that despite the overwhelming happiness embodied in God's divine plan, sometimes it can feel far away and disconnected from our current circumstances. It may feel beyond our reach as struggling disciples. From our limited perspective, current temptations and distractions can seem attractive. The rewards for resisting those temptations, on the other hand, can feel distant and unattainable. But a true understanding of the Father's plan reveals that the rewards of righteousness are available right now. Wickedness, such as immoral conduct, is never part of the answer. Alma said it clearly to his son Corianton, Behold, I say unto you, wickedness never was happiness. Our doctrine is clearly stated by Amulek in Alma 34 and 32. Behold, this life is the time to prepare for for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. How then do we prepare in such a difficult time? In addition to being temple-worthy, there are many principles that contribute to righteousness. I will emphasize three. First, righteous self-control and conduct. I believe that sometimes our loving Father in heaven must view us with the amusement we feel when we watch our own small children as they learn and grow. We all stumble and fall as we gain experience. I appreciated the conference address President Dieter F. Uchtdorf gave in 2010 about the famous marshmallow experiment conducted at Stanford University in the 1960s. You will remember that four-year-olds were given a single marshmallow. If they could wait for 15 or 20 minutes without eating it, they would receive a second marshmallow. 
Videos have been produced showing the contortions that many children used to avoid eating the marshmallow. Some did not succeed. Last year, the professor who conducted the original experiment, Dr. Walter Michel, wrote a book in which he said the study grew in part out of his concerns about self-control and his own addiction to smoking. He was particularly concerned after the U.S. Surgeon General's report of 1964 concluded that smoking caused lung cancer. Based on years of study, one of his professional colleagues reported that self-control is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. Avoiding something tempting once will help you develop the ability to resist other temptations in the future. A principle of eternal progression is that exercising self-control and living righteously strengthens our ability to resist temptation. This is true both in the spiritual realm and in temporal matters. Our missionaries are an an excellent example. They develop Christ-like attributes and emphasize obedience and spirituality. They are expected to adhere to a rigorous schedule and spend their days in the service of others. They have a modest, conservative appearance instead of the casual or immodest manner of dress so prevalent today. Their conduct and appearance convey a moral, serious message. We have approximately 230,000 young people who are currently serving as missionaries or who have returned from missionary service in the last five years. They have developed remarkable spiritual strength and self-discipline that needs to be continually exercised, or these qualities will atrophy, just like the muscles that are not used. All of us need to develop and demonstrate conduct and appearance that declare we are true followers of Christ. Those who abandon either righteous conduct or a wholesome, modest appearance expose themselves to lifestyles that bring neither joy nor happiness. The restored gospel gives us the blueprint of the plan of happiness and an incentive to understand and exercise self-control and avoid temptation. It also teaches us how to repent when violations have occurred. Second, honoring the Sabbath will increase righteousness and be a protection for the family. The early Christian Church changed observance of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday to commemorate the Lord's resurrection. Other basic sacred purposes of the Sabbath remained unchanged. For Jews and Christians, the Sabbath symbolizes the mighty works of God. My wife and I and two of my colleagues and their wives recently participated in a Jewish Shabbat at the invitation of a dear friend, Robert Abrams, and his wife, Diane, in their New York home. It commenced at the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath on a Friday evening. The focus was honoring God as the Creator. It began by blessing the family and a Sabbath hymn. We joined in the ceremonial washing of hands, the blessing of the bread, the prayers, the kosher meal, the recitation of scripture, and singing Sabbath songs in a celebratory mood. We listened to the Hebrew words following along with English translations. The most poignant scriptures read from the Old Testament, which are also dear to us, were from Isaiah, declaring the Sabbath a delight, and from Ezekiel, that the Sabbath shall be a sign between me and you 
that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. The overwhelming impression from this wonderful evening was a family love, devotion, and accountability to God. As I thought about this event, I reflected on the extreme persecution that the Jews have experienced over centuries. Clearly, honoring the Sabbath has been a perpetual covenant, preserving and blessing the Jewish people in fulfillment of Scripture. It has also contributed to the extraordinary family life and happiness that is evident in the lives of many Jewish people. For members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, honoring the Sabbath is a form of righteousness that will bless and strengthen families, connect us with our Creator, and increase happiness. The Sabbath can help separate us from that which is frivolous, inappropriate, or immoral. It allows us to be in the world but not of the world. In the last six months, a most remarkable change has occurred in the Church. This has been in the response of the members to renewed emphasis on the Sabbath by the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve and to President Russell M. Nelson's challenge to make the Sabbath a delight. Many members understand that truly keeping the Sabbath day holy is a refuge from the storms of this life. It is also a sign of our devotion to our Father in Heaven and an increased understanding of the sacredness of sacrament meeting. Still, we have a long way to go, but we have a wonderful beginning. I challenge all of us to continue to embrace this counsel and improve our Sabbath worship. Third, divine protections are provided when we are righteous. As part of God's divine plan, we are blessed with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift is the right to have, whenever one is worthy, the companionship of the Holy Ghost. This member of the Godhead serves as a cleansing agent if the gospel is first in our lives. He also has a voice of warning against evil and a voice of protection against danger. As we navigate the seas of life, following the impressions of the Holy Ghost is essential. The Spirit will help us avoid temptations and dangers and comfort and lead us through challenges. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Adherence to sacred gospel principles will allow us to be temple-worthy, find happiness in this life, and lead us back to our heavenly home. My dear brothers and sisters, life is not easy, nor was it meant to be. It is a time of testing and trial. Like the old ships in Bristol Harbor, there will be times when the tide goes out, and it seems as if everything in this world keeping us afloat disappears. We may hit the bottom and even be tipped over on our sides. Amid such trials, I promise you that living and maintaining temple-worthy lives will hold together all that really matters. The sweet blessings of peace, happiness, and joy, along with the blessings of eternal life and celestial glory, with our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, will be realized. I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Our dear and beloved Heavenly Father, we love Thee, and we love Thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Our hearts are full of joy because of this beautiful music and because of words of wisdom and redemption that we receive with full hearts and gratitude. We implore, Heavenly Father, that we might apply those words in our lives and become better children of Thy. We pray that we can share the gospel of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, with those that we love. 